Welcome to Kingdom.Think. Today is Genesis 43, 40, 43 to 44, Psalms 22, Matthew 22. I hope you're having a good time with all these um, discussions and reviews of these passages. It's just so fantastic, so beautiful, and it is designed... I, I even hope in your life you're starting to see little... Um, little signs, little awakenings, little messages, because I'm already experiencing that. Um, I had an episode where I was driving from LA to, from Southern LA to the Northern Cal and out of nowhere, I just had this, it's not like I sensed it. And then I thought about it. It was literally all in one moment. Something told me, check your tire pressure and my car can do the reading of the tire pressure. And I checked the tire pressure and it was so automatic. I didn't even know I was really checking it. And sure enough, my tire was flat. And at that moment, I was right at the exit and I, there were no cars in the lanes because I was in the fast lane and I just zoomed right over and there was a gas station right there with an error. And it's a long story, but basically I really felt those are those kind of signs that God just, it's like you're in this relationship, this, this um, you know, people always say, how do you hear the voice of God? You can't hear the voice of God if you're not hanging out with him. And so that's what we're doing at Kingdom.Think. Not only are we experiencing a new identity, a new freedom, a new sense of peace, new clarity, but a new relationship. And then we can certainly hear things, feel things, and sense things that God is speaking to us just like they do in the Bible. Okay, here we go. Genesis 43 and 44. This this is such a fantastic story. It's like a juicy, like legit juicy story. And um, so Joseph's brothers have shown up. And now they they went back and they took the food and they realized that they accidentally had the silver in there, which was all a trick, but they were just so stressed about it. They told their father, he was so stressed about it. He says, you guys cannot go back. You certainly can't take Benjamin because they will certainly kill you. So he was just beyond stressed because Simeon was in prison and it's just terrible. But the famine was so long that they ran out of food and he said, okay. So um, uh, Judah says, father we need to go back and buy more food and um or we're gonna die and joseph was just devastated about that but he said okay he said we have to take benjamin oh i'm oh he was devastated the description in here is just just he was already mourning devastated but um they went they and he says if anything happens to him i you'll have my life you'll have my children's life nothing will happen to benjamin so they went and um, they got there pretty quickly and Joseph saw them coming and he told his servants, bring them in, clean them up, take them to my house. Of course, they were nervous about that. He prepared a meal for them and he treated them really, really well. And then he said, he went to talk to them. And who is this? And they introduced him to his brother, Benjamin. And when he saw his brother, who what, which is actually his blood brother, his younger brother, it says he was deeply moved at the sight of his brother. Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. And after he'd washed his face, he came out and controlling himself. And he said, serve the food. So, so, oh, so good. And so they had this wonderful dinner and it was time to send them off. And he said, fill them up with all the grain. And then again, he, t- he played a trick and put some more. He put their silver back in their sack. This time he took one of his cups, his silver cups, and put it in Benjamin's sack. And he let them go. And then shortly after, very, very shortly after, he sent his, his servant and, or people said, go find them. 
because somebody has stolen my silver. Go find them. And sure enough, he found them and they said, no, no, we would never do such a thing. Okay, show us what's in your sack. Sure enough, this, the cup that belonged to Joseph's palace was in Benjamin's bag. So they were brought back, devastated, of course. Um, the brothers were just horrified. And Joseph was saying to them, okay, how could you do this to me? How could you insult me like this and, and steal from my household? They said, we, we don't know how to defend ourselves. We're guilty. But and he said, no, no, you're not guilty. Only the person who had the cup, which was Benjamin, the brother. You guys can go free, but he's going to stay here as a slave. Oh, they said, no, no, we can't do that to our father. He's already lost a brother and, I mean, a son. We just can't do that to him. They were devastated. Please let him go and we'll stay here and be your slave. And that's the end of chapter 44. And, of course, we're going to know the end of the story tomorrow, but that's the end of chapter 44. It's so worth reading. It's such a fantastic story. Um, And there's more to it than just hearing a great story. Yes, when you read it, it's like such a great story. But there's actually such so many rich lessons, and I hope you find that in there. And moving on to Psalms 22. Now, I'm not going to read all of Psalms 22 because it is a long one, but I'm just going to show how when David's praying or communicating or just in relationship with God, remember, David was a man after God's heart. Why? Because he was transparent with him. He poured out his heart. And just look at the way it's developed. So I'm going to read the first part. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out day, I cry out by day, but you do not answer me. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one of Israel, praise, the one Israel praises. In, your, in you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you believe, delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So he definitely is not hiding his feelings from God. Then, so he does that like a journal. He just says, oh, this is what I'm dealing with, Lord. Why are you not helping me? And then he just goes into his writing. And then at the end, he says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will behold, will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So always ending, something in his heart just shifts. Something in his heart just changes towards the end of his passages. So then we move on to Matthew 22. Remember, Jesus loves to talk in parables, and he does it again. But I have to tell you, even at the very end of this chapter, finally, the people are just so perplexed by his parables and so wowed that they finally said, Let's just stop asking him questions because his wisdom is just beyond what they can comprehend. So here we talk about one parable, the parable of the wedding banquet. Basically, the king is preparing a banquet for his son. He invites, he sends a servant to invite the people, but everybody refuses to come. 
And then he sends a servant out again, more servants. And he says, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. And they just went about the business. And some even seized the servants and mistreated them and killed them. Well, the king obviously was so upset about that. So he had those people that killed his servants destroyed and just burned down their cities because punishment to all those. So I ask you, like, who were the servants that this king sent? Could it be a representation of the prophets? Maybe the prophets came to say that the Messiah was coming and they didn't notice. They didn't recognize And worse yet, they even mistreated and killed him. Isn't that super amazing? So he's like foretelling. Telling of what's current situation, but foretelling what's about to happen. Um, Oh, well, then the king said, fine, just open up the wedding banquet. Invite anybody, not just our people, a.k.a. probably the Israelites, not just our people, but just invite anyone in the street corners to our banquet. So that's exactly what they did. And all the guests came to the wedding um, and it was lovely. But then the king noticed that there was this man and he wasn't dressed in wedding clothes. Now, from our perspective, it's like, well, you know, there's no reason to be mean to him just because he didn't dress appropriately. But the point is he didn't honor the wedding. He just came very laissez-faire, very casual and just, but he didn't honor the invitation And he didn't honor where he was at. So basically the king threw him out of the wedding banquet into the streets. Um, And then it ends with, for many are invited, but few are chosen. So that's one section of this amazing chapter. Then we go into the question, which I'm sure you're familiar with, where they're trying to trick Jesus again. Basically questioning him about paying taxes. And Jesus basically says, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, which seems really simple, right? Seems like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Give Caesar's, give taxes to Caesar's, give Caesar his money. But the funny thing is, what's God's money? Gold. So in reality, if we were really to get technical, he's saying, yeah, give Caesar what's Caesar's, but the gold belongs to God. Um, That's just my thought. Okay, so then we move on to... It's the marriage at the resurrection. Let's see. Oh, they're trying to trick Jesus again. Oh, yes. So there's these, um, I think it's seven brothers. One gets married and it's custom that you, if your brothers, if your brother dies, you have to marry the wife. So one, so they're, they're questioning him. So if, if there's seven brothers and then one dies, then the next one marries the wife and then the next one marries the wife after he dies. And let's say all seven brothers die. When they get to heaven, <clears throat> who, um, who is, let's see, whose wife will she be of the seven when she gets to heaven? <laughs> Love this because he's referencing heaven itself. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures of the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. This is a really important reference because a lot of times we talk about heaven, but after we die, we'll be like angels in heaven. So it's really cool reference to the spirit realm, the invisible, unseen spirit realm of heaven. But 
about the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, which means after you die and your spirit goes to heaven, you are still alive because he is the God of the living, not the dead. I love it when they just give us windows into the spirit realm and what heaven is really like, what happens after you die, and that the spirit world is so alive, so real, and we don't really comprehend that because we live in this reality, this third dimensional reality of material things and skin and bones and hair. and So we don't think of the spirit realm, but it's so real. And even Jesus is referencing here. And, um, and I love also how he talks in parables because think about it. If he didn't talk in parables, will it, would it really sit with you? Nobody likes to hear advice or nobody likes to be told what to do. But when you tell a story, it sticks. You can kind of, when you tell a story in, in anything, you, you kind of relate to that story and how you fit in that story. So here we are moving down to the bottom of chapter 22, the greatest commandment. So basically somebody asked, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That is pretty fantastic. These are the laws above all other laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that would mean love yourself and honor yourself and treat yourself well and love your neighbor that much. Super cool. Then we move on to Jesus is asking the questions now. He turns it around and he says, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Well, the son of David, they replied. He said to them, how is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. Oh, no one could say a word in reply from that day on. No one dared to ask him another word question yeah that's amazing okay but I love that too because even he's sharing the question because sometimes when you read psalms it's you kind of get it's perplexing it's like the words are twisted and you don't you're, you're like have to really dissect and that's what Jesus was doing here he's saying hey what do you think and it's just so cool I hope you enjoyed that that was Genesis 43 44 Psalms 22 and Matthew 22 Woo, moving right along. We're having a great time. I hope you're enjoying this and um, make it a great day.